Good evening. Our passage this this evening (laughs) is in Psalm 19. So I encourage you to turn there. If you have one of the Bridge Bibles, it is on page uh, 381. 380 and 381. I'll begin by reading the passage as we start our service. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They, the heavens, have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, Enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than more pure than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please pray with me. Father, we have the privilege, the awesome privilege, to come before you together as a body to worship you, to uh, to sing, to lift your name up, to, to read through your word. Father, I just pray for um, the words that you would have me speak. I pray um, for your message to be clear, the, the message of your son, his death and resurrection, uh, to be made clear uh, here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the passage we just read in Psalm 19, I want to highlight a couple of verses in particular. In 19, verse 6, we have this beautiful word picture. King David, the writer of many of the Psalms, including this one, um, gives us this beautiful word picture. He says, uh, God is glorified, and he's the one who sets the course of the sun from horizon to horizon. And as it travels its course throughout the day, it gives glory to God. And he says, he uses this word picture, he says, um, It's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. I want you to hold on to that image for a second here. Hold on to that image. 
And then we'll begin by asking a question. Who is setting your course? Who is setting your course? And I I include myself as sitting in the front row answering that question. Who is setting your course? Now tomorrow, many of you will will run a marathon course of 26.2 miles, either all of it or part of it. And that course was set to showcase the beauty of our area. Uh, It goes over something like 11 bridges. It highlights the, the beautiful rivers we have in this area. And the assumption is, by many marathon runners, is that they are replicating the distance of an ancient and legendary run in Athens, in ancient Greece, in 490 B.C., from from Marathon to Athens to proclaim um, the defeat of the Persian army by the Greek army. That's a a 25-mile race. And upon arriving, the, the Greek messenger is said to proclaim victory before he dies. Now, here's the deal again. That course was 25 miles, as I just mentioned. That course was 25 miles. So, where do we get the extra 1.2 miles that marathons are set at today? Now, many of you probably wish you were done at the 25-mile mark. Don't be upset. In the Midwest, we call that a good value. You get 26.2 for the price of 25. So consider yourself blessed in that extra 1.2 miles. So actually, it's, there's somewhat of a story to it. When the, the modern-day Olympics were revived in 1896, they were held in, in Athens. And they were looking for a homegrown event to generate interest. And so from this legend, this race was born And the original race was a 25-mile course. There were 17 that that started it. Only nine finished. And the winner finished uh, finished in two hours and 58 minutes, for those of you interested. It was something of a hit. The following year, in 1897, the Boston Marathon started, and that's the longest-running annual marathon. And uh, in other marathons started to be held. And they were all at different distances from 24, 25, 26 miles. Uh, there was, um, most commonly, maybe 40 kilometers, a nice metric measurement. That was up until 1908, when the Olympics went to London. And the British, still being in control of an empire, were not going to have a 40-kilometer race. Okay? They were going to use imperial measurements, not metric measurements. And so they rounded it to a nice 25-mile course from the town of Windsor into the newly built Olympic Stadium in London. That was until the Queen of England let it be known that she would like the race to start on her front lawn, which was Windsor Castle, so that her kids and grandkids could watch the start of the race from their nursery. So to accommodate this royal request, an extra mile was added at the beginning of the race. And I think we have a, actually, if you go back 
This is a picture from that original start, right in front of Windsor Castle. Now, to make matters worse, at the end of the race, instead of ending at the normal finish line in the stadium, they added an extra 385 yards, or you guessed it, 0.2 miles, to run all the way around the track so that the finishers could end up right in front of the royal box so the queen could watch them finish. So you have a mile at the, end, at the beginning, an extra 0.2 at the end, and there you have your 1.2. Now, this led to something of a marathon tradition. I've never been at mile 25 of a marathon, but apparently uh, runners that know you, um, will occasionally shout out, as they're running across mile 25, the point at which they normally would be done if the queen hadn't intervened, They'll yell, God save the queen, or some other less polite <laughs> greeting. So if you're running tomorrow, that's who you have to thank for setting your course. But the question we're going to ask this evening is a much deeper question. Who is setting your course for life? And if you're wondering, by the way, this is the poor poor soul who finished the London Marathon. Uh, the story is that he was so delirious as he entered the stadium, he started running the wrong way around the track, ended up falling down five times, had to be helped up each time for fear that he would die in front of the queen, and literally pushed across the finish line. Um, runners, are you encouraged yet? So again, the question at a deeper level is who's setting the course for the rest of your life? And in Psalm 19, we get a picture as David writes this. It's really a song lyric is what the Psalms are. And we don't know the tune, but we have the benefit of the, the written words. It's first and foremost about glory given to God, the whole psalm. And primarily, David highlights uh, two particular ways. One is a glory given to God um, and revealed in his world, the beauty of his creation. And many of you, as you're running tomorrow, you, you can enjoy that glory and glorify God in what you'll, what you'll be seeing. But I'd like to focus on the second half of the psalm, and that's the glory of God revealed in his word. And so if you take a look at uh, beginning in verse 7, Psalm 19.7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So in this poetic parallel way, the law of the Lord, the statutes, the precepts, the decrees of the Lord. These are all different ways by the, the psalm writer David to describe God's word. And David would have had the benefit of the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, probably Joshua and Judges as well, and, and later Hebrew prophets would have, would have written about David's life and Solomon's life and, and got how God had worked 
uh, in Israel's history up until the time of Christ. And of course, we nowadays have the benefit of the New Testament. We have a, an even clearer picture of, of Jesus. And, and, uh, and so together, um, through the inspiration of the Spirit, over a period of, some estimate, about 2,000 years and over 40 writers from three different continents, the church, through the Spirit, has, uh, has collected the Bible that we have today. And this leads us to the truth that I'd like to, to highlight. That running God's course begins in God's Word. Running God's course begins in God's Word. You know, there's so many times that we take for granted the powerful, reveal, the, the powerful revealed word that we have right in front of us that many people all across the world don't even have access to. So running God's course begins in God's word. And one of the beautiful things about Scripture is that all of God's word from beginning to end, is a continuous story of God's redemption. And that story of his redemption centers on Jesus Christ. And the story of of Jesus Christ. And so running God's course begins with God's word. And I think on the next slide here, which all ultimately points to God's Son. Jesus Christ. And the story of Christ ultimately comes to his death and resurrection, what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. And so each of us come to God's word with our own stories. And when our story through faith in the gospel intersects with God's story, we truly get a picture of who we are and what we were designed to do. And as the writer of Psalm 19, as David has shown us, both through God's created work and God's created humans, that the glory of God is supreme in importance. May these words of my heart and this, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So thus far, we've, we've started with an image. Okay, of somebody running as if the sun was going from horizon to horizon. We've asked a question of who's setting your course in life. Okay, we have the truth that running God's course begins in God's word, which ultimately points to God's son, Jesus. And I'd like to end with a a couple applications, a couple specific applications here. Number one, 
just as runners find great benefit in training together, so too the student of God's word will find benefit in studying with others. Okay, and so that might mean being a part of a growth group, being a part of another Bible study, or simply sharing with others what God has been showing you in his word, asking specifically of them what they're reading. Okay, so just as runners will benefit from training with others, so will the student of God's word benefit from reading with others and communicating with others about what God is showing them. Number two, read through the word with the question, what is this showing me about God's redemptive plan? What does this show me about his grace? What does this show me about Jesus? Now, in some passages of Scripture in the New Testaments, we have a clearer picture. Obviously, we have the benefit after the fact. But God's redemptive plan is a story that's told from Genesis 3 all throughout the rest of the Bible. And so, I would encourage you, as you read any section of the Bible, to ask, where, how does this piece of the puzzle fit into the story that goes from beginning to end of God's redemption of his people, which ultimately is highlighted in his son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for our sin, and his resurrection to conquer sin and death. And so this is where we really, we lace up the shoelaces, okay? This is application of applying God's word so that as we run the course of our lives, we give glory to God. So if you're out on the course tomorrow and uh, you run past mile 25, you can say, God save the queen. Or you can simply say, God save me. And if you're here tonight, you can say the same thing. You have a God who sent his son, who shed his blood for your sin and my sin. And we have the opportunity through faith in his death and resurrection to simply say his name, Jesus, which means God saves. Please pray with me again. Father God, we thank you. We thank you again to get into your your word. Um, We thank you for the benefit of of, um, the Psalms, of your songbook that that you would have, uh, your son would have read and sung and recited so many different times throughout his life. We thank you that it's been preserved, that we have the privilege to go back through these words and that you've um, added through your spirit uh, this whole collection of, of Scripture that, that we have is your word, that we can learn from, that we can encourage others uh, from, that we can um, be empowered to expand your kingdom throughout our communities in this world, that we can be encouraged to uh, do things that we ordinarily would not do, like 
run marathons and raise money for clean water. Um, to go beyond ourselves. Father, you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your church, and we're blessed in so many ways. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, uh, being the first of the month, we will also celebrate communion, as we traditionally do at the bridge on the first, uh, first worship service of each month. So I'll read a passage from 1 Corinthians. These words are from Jesus on the night before he was crucified. He is meeting and eating with his closest followers, his disciples. And, uh, and Paul, in 1 Corinthians, is, is recounting this story. And so Paul writes, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so celebrating communion is a tradition that has been practiced faithfully by the Church of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years now, to remember his death and resurrection for us. It's a, it's a practice for believers, for followers of Jesus Christ. If you're not there yet, um, please feel free to, uh, to remain seated. If you are, we practice an open communion, and we, in, we invite you to, to join us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in the gospel, in his death and resurrection. I also encourage you, before you come up, to take a moment to reflect. If there are things that you would need to confess before God, grudges that you hold, um, anything that would keep you from coming here with a clean heart to give that up before God uh, before you take of the bread and the cup.